This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of January 4th, 2016, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 307 of Defender Radio. Last month, there was a lot of hubbub in wildlife and animal welfare circles about two big legal news items. Quebec creating legislation to recognize animals as sentient beings, and the case against a woman whose business is to raise wolves in a petting zoo, then sell their fur when they die. In our first episode of 2016, we're bringing you interviews recorded in December that cover both of these important issues. We'll hear from Sophie Gallard, an attorney and campaign coordinator with the Montreal SPCA to discuss changes in the Quebec National Assembly, as well as Christopher Berry, an attorney with the U.S.-based Animal Legal Defense Fund, to talk about the case against the wolf farmer in Maine. Let's get started. For the last several months, the topic of animal sentience has been bandied about in Quebec. And until the National Assembly accepted the term as legislation in late 2015, it felt like nothing more than a pipe dream. But what does it mean for our cats and dogs? What about farm livestock animals? And certainly, how will it impact fur-bearing animals in the wild and in captivity? We were joined last month by Sophie Gallard of the Montreal SPCA to talk about this important change. The Quebec National Assembly has passed legislation that declares... Uh, animals as sentient beings. And, and on first glance, that is wonderful news. So legally, what does it mean for an animal to be called a sentient being? Uh, uh, how does that get defined? Well, yeah, it is an important development. It is significant. Uh, the civil code has existed with this dichotomy between persons and property uh, since Roman times. Uh, and so to kind of uh, break away from that dichotomy and introduce a new type of legal entity um, is, is significant, certainly symbolically. As for the concrete effects of that change, unfortunately, they're pretty limited because the way the provision is constructed, we are uh, first recognizing animals as sentient beings that have biological needs, but in the same breath, we're saying that all the legal uh, provisions uh, dealing with property will continue to apply by default to animals. So this provision in no way uh, makes animals rights holders, in no way uh, gives them any type of legal personhood. So the, the concrete effects of this change are extremely limited, uh, but symbolically we feel it's a very important step. And who knows, it might open the way uh, to the development of jurisprudence on this, and perhaps we'll see some, some actual tangible effects uh, over time. Well, and we certainly can't expect, um, uh, to use the sports this, uh, uh, concept, you can't expect Quebec to go from worst to first overnight. Um, and I, I kind of want to touch on that whole worst concept, because those of us outside of Quebec are used to hearing about the, and I will use the specific example of puppy mills, um, uh, and that is, Quebec has been notorious for that in the animal welfare, dog rescue world for years and years and years. So why has Quebec been so bad and how could this change in legislation affect that specifically on the puppy mill issue? 
Right. Well, Quebec, first of all, was one of the only provinces up until now that didn't provide for any jail time in case of conviction. And when you think about puppy mills and mass production of animals, uh, when you are, when the only penalty you're facing is a potential monetary fine, um, it's relatively easy to, to incorporate that into your cost of business. You just sell a few more puppies and you pay for your fines. So the introduction of jail time is significant uh, in that respect. And we were only, uh, you know, we were one of the very few provinces that, that still didn't offer that up until uh, this new bill that came into place. Another uh, great thing that will certainly help us fight against puppy mills that's part of this new legislation is the protection of psychological welfare for certain species, namely cats, dogs, and horses. So now owners of cats, dogs, and horses will have to provide these animals with enrichment and socialization, which is something that would be extremely difficult to do or to prove that you're doing in a puppy mill context. So we're hoping to, to be able to use that as, as a tool to get at those mass breeders. Okay, and I guess the obvious next one is um, moving on to uh, livestock or farmed animals. Um, and in this, I, I'll stay specific to... to uh, the agricultural interests of the food industry and not involve fur because that's already an entirely different issue. Um, but to me, I mean, I see this and it says, hey, it's great. Animals are sentient beings. My first thought skips over dogs and cats and goes straight to pigs. Uh, actually, pigs were the one for me that kind of brought me on that journey. Um, so I, I see that, and I think this is great. At the very, very least, conditions will have to change, uh, especially when you look at factory farms. But what I'm seeing, uh, you know, from quotes from the SPCA and from other uh, uh, legal or animal experts, is we shouldn't expect any big changes as it relates to how mass, uh, uh, mass-produced factory farmed animals are treated. You're right. Um, we are unfortunately not going to have any major impact on factory farming with this new legislation. Uh, you're pointing to a very important uh, point, which is that, that very contradiction between having in a single bill uh, the recognition that all animals, regardless of how they're used, are sentient and have needs, um, and yet continuing to permit agriculture to basically auto-regulate itself in terms of how it treats animals. So unfortunately, in this bill, the exact same exemption exists as it, as it did before, the agricultural exemption. So essentially, we're permitting uh, the agricultural industry to treat animals uh, in any way that they want, even if it causes suffering, provided that they're treating them according to standard industrial farming practice. Um, so unfortunately, we're stuck with the same uh, exemption that allows the industry to completely auto-regulate itself. And, and something um, I, I'd be curious about, and this is something you, you've kind of looked at already, I think, um, but could the terminology applied in this, even though it's, it's we're adding a new label and creating a new category, it's it's still the same as the property category in, in how it's used. But now that there's a new category, does that open the door for legal evolution, I, I guess would call it sort of, well, we've done this, so the next step is that. Uh, is that sort of what we're hoping for moving forward? Right. I think it does open a door, but it's very difficult to determine 
um, where we can go with this, and I think it will take a lot of time. If you look to European countries, some European jurisdictions have had this type of provision in their civil codes for uh, close to 20 years now, and we haven't seen major changes, or at least not major changes that are attributable to that one recognition of animals as sentient beings in the civil law system. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic as to how far we can go with this, but it's certainly something that animal protection organizations like the SPCA will be trying to, to maximize and get as much as we can out of. All right, and uh, as this is relatively recent news, I don't know if this has been explored yet, but the the last animal or the last group I have to ask about is is somewhat obvious, and that's fur-bearing animals, so wildlife in traps. Uh, Quebec, the legislation there is similar as it is to everywhere else in Canada, as far as I know, in regards to trapping. It's done through the Ministry of Resources, as it's, uh, and I can never remember what it's called in Quebec, um, because you have two names for it. Changes every every couple of years. Yeah, the name um, of that ministry, but yeah. So, is is there going to be any significant difference here, or is this just completely glossed over? So, in terms of trapping, there is no change uh, that comes from this new bill being adopted. However, for far far fur farming, um, there are significant changes. So, red fox and American mink, which are the main two species that are farmed for their fur here in Quebec. Um, will now be covered under our provincial animal welfare legislation, which is a huge win in our in our perspective, probably the single biggest gain uh, that comes from this bill. Uh, but unfortunately for trapped wildlife, uh, there is no impact. Okay, and I, I guess that comes down to, and we saw this with other SPCAs in the country, that were, uh, you know, you even if you are able to investigate a farm, you're unable to lay charges because wildlife in confinement was not being considered um, uh, the same as either livestock or as wildlife. It, it was this weird kind of gray area. So is this sort of giving existing legislation teeth for the Montreal SPCA and other organizations in the province? Unfortunately, not for the SPCA, because we have a particular issue in Quebec with respect uh, to what species we can apply the legislation to. Um, in Quebec, we're the only province where the SPCAs only are allowed to apply the legislation to dogs and cats and not any other species. So whether it's, you know, livestock kept for, uh, you know, companionship purposes on hobby farms or rabbits in pet stores or, um, or fur farmed animals, uh, we cannot use the legislation as the SPCA. The only inspectors that are allowed to apply the legislation to these animals are the Ministry of Agriculture inspectors, and they will be allowed to use uh, all the basic provisions in the legislation. Uh, they'll be allowed to apply those as much to companion animals as to fur-bearing animals kept on fur farms. So it remains to be seen how they will choose to apply the legislation in the context of fur farming. Now, it, it is Christmas season. Uh, we're in the middle of Hanukkah now. Christmas is coming. There's still no snow here in Hamilton, which makes me very, very sad. But my neighbors just to the north are covered in it. Um, give me your reason to hope, None Sophie. here either, which is rather really? surprising in Montreal. Yeah. That's odd. Um, well, yeah. Regardless, give me a reason. Give all of us a reason for hope right now. What We have seen a change. It is a historic change. Um, so give us a reason to hope this time of year. That's what we need is hope. Well, um, I think that this, this bill actually 
uh, came to be for two reasons. One, the mass uh, public support we have, and even in Quebec, which is known, as, you, as we've mentioned, as probably the worst province for animals, uh, people are getting more and more outraged by the stories they hear in the news, more and more outraged by the way animals are treated in the province, and they have spoken up. And for the first time, I think, in Quebec history, the politicians have actually listened and have, there has been an actual political will uh, to try and change the situation for animals on a legal uh, scale. Um, unfortunately, uh, there are still problems with the new law, uh, but we're jumping ahead uh, quite a number of spots. And uh, I'm hoping this is just the first step towards uh, more change to come for animals in the province. To learn more about the Montreal SPCA, visit spca.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at FurBearerDefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at GatesWildlifeControl.com or call 416-750-9453. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. This is Defender Radio. The business plan sounds like the ramblings of a mad trapper. Raise wolf puppies in a petting zoo so little children can meet them and learn about wildlife. Then skin them and sell their fur when the market is good. But that's exactly what's happening in Maine, and ALDF attorney Christopher Berry joined us to talk about the case against the fur farm and how you can get involved. So talking about the case with Forever Wild, the the wolf petting zoo slash farm slash slaughterhouse slash whatever, taking uh, that that's in Minnesota. And this case, though, doesn't start this month. This is not new. Uh, I understand there was a, an issue going back in May with ALDF and this uh, this business. Could you, could you give us a bit of the history? Yeah, there's a ALDF got involved in the uh, Forever Wild situation this spring when um, some activists that I know in, in South Dakota um, got in touch with me because Forever Wild wanted to expand and start a second facility in Deadwood, South Dakota, where there's a lot of tourism from the Black Hills and Mount Rushmore. Um, and there was a lot of local opposition to her moving there, uh, largely due to, due to her uh, fur harvesting operation that she runs concurrently with her animal exhibition uh, business as well. And so Animal Legal Defense Fund began taking a look at the situation 
uh, in, in spring of this year, 2015. And uh, um, in particular, there were uh, there were reports of um, uh, poor conditions uh, for the animals at the Minnesota facility. So we uh, sent a complaint letter to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which uh, enforces animal welfare standards for animal exhibitors like Forever Wild, and uh, no- notified them of of those reports of. I think, uh, if I recall correctly, there were uh, like uh, unclean cages and uh, conditions like that. And was there any resolution uh, to the case, or did it just kind of she stopped trying to move and went back to basics? Yeah. So the the local resistance in South Dakota was effective in uh, severely limiting the scope of her operation in South Dakota. So she was ultimately approved, but only for uh, exhibiting wolf puppies and, and I believe uh, fox kits as well. And so this, her Deadwood operation was limited to uh, only exhibiting those young animals. And the local activists were um, subsequently able to pass a, an exotic animal ordinance in Deadwood, South Dakota, that that would have prohibited her operation um, if she'd ever tried to expand it. So she ultimately uh, reportedly put the property up for sale and and retreated from South Dakota back to to Minnesota uh, a few months ago. And and it's in Minnesota where now there is another case that ALDF has taken on. Uh, and it, this is one where I saw it and I thought. The journalist must have screwed up. This doesn't make any sense at all. A woman who has a petting zoo who then skins the wolves once they're older and sells the pelts. To me, it just didn't make sense. But that is what Forever Wild's operation is. Uh, and I understand it's the Endangered Species Act uh, federally that you are uh, appealing under to try and uh, get this sh- operation shut down in Minnesota. Yeah. So, so to, to be clear, it's not just um, wolves that she's skinning. In exhibiting at Forever Wild, there there are um, many different types of animals, uh, and in her game farm application, uh, in the past she has said that um, she she has listed uh, bobcats, uh, fishers, foxes, lynx, possums, raccoons, uh, I think maybe a couple other ones. Um, listed them in the, in the column uh, for number of deaths uh, butchered for consumption. Uh, and if you look at the gift shop at her facility, you know she, there's a wide assortment of, of different furs. Uh, so you, you can see the animals when they're alive and then walk over to the gift shop and you can see uh, that the furs of the, the same species of animals, obviously, when they're dead. So it's not it's not just wolves. Now, the reason the wolves are the focus of our um, of our legal action here is because they are protected under the Endangered Species Act. So she uh, is prohibited under federal law from um, from killing them, and we want to make sure that she, you know, going forward doesn't doesn't uh, run afoul of the uh, Endangered Species Act because the Minnesota gray wolves are are protected um, since they're the only animals that are protected from what we've been able to ascertain. 
um, they, you know, they are the, the sole focus of, of this complaint. And uh, unfortunately, it is perfectly legal to harvest the the fur uh, of other animals, as a general matter, at least. Well, and it's very interesting in the Huffington Post article uh, on this this story, which is quite well done. They note a 2012 civil court deposition in which the owner of Forever Wild stated that most of her animals are raised for their fur. And when asked if she killed the animals for the fur or waited for them to die naturally, she stated it depends on the fur market. So to me, this is really just sort of animal exploitation at its uh, at its height. Is there any other kind of action that people can can get involved with to say this is not right morally or is it really finding ways within the existing law to try and combat this the way ALDF and yourself are currently doing yeah I mean that's a good that's a good question uh, certainly uh, supporting local ordinances that that restrict these types of operations um, or exotic animal operations in general is, is one uh, good way to uh, to go about this, the the Deadwood facility in South Dakota that I talked about, that was, I think, sort of the nail on the coffin was when Deadwood passed their um, exotic animal ordinance. And um, with regards to Forever Wild, there actually is a local ordinance there as well that prohibits exotic animals. And that, and it was litigation arising under that ordinance, which is still ongoing, by the way, um, uh, in which the owner of Forever Wild admitted to skinning all those animals. She was trying to claim she was exempt from the exotic ordinance because she had just had a traditional uh, fur harvesting agriculture operation. So at that time, it was actually in her self-interest to admit to to skinning the animals for fur. And, and now that sort of the public spotlight is is on her, uh, I, I think her her calculus has has shifted, and she's either, you know, refused interview requests or um, in some cases, I, I think, inc- incredibly outright denied that she does harvest and, and, you know, kill her animals for fur, and, which is completely contrary to that deposition, uh, which, of course, you take under oath um, from 2012. Well, it very, again, it very much seems that it, it's animal exploitation almost, it, 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 and in a dark and sinister way, it's almost incredible how well she has developed a system. Um, I mean, it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant business model, but yeah, it's, yeah, I think very immoral. Yeah, well, and and that's where people are going to really get on board with this. I think so. Up here in Canada and down in the U.S., what can individuals do to support your case against this farm in particular, and other cases that ALDF takes on on behalf of animals? Yeah, there's a well, there's a change.org petition that does the Dakota activists uh, have. Going right now, I think it has like something like 150,000 uh, signatures. And so one thing you know, to do would be uh, sign that petition, and that can certainly, I think, have have an impact um, and, and sort of uh, contribute to the narrative. The name of the petition is Stop Fur Farm from Exploiting and Killing Endangered Gray Wolves for Their Fur. Um, in addition to that, I would encourage people to follow the our legal organization, Animal Legal Defense Fund, uh, on social media. We do we do have uh, um, activist um, calls for activism from from time to time, uh, such as signing these petitions or or calling uh, legislators to, to support 
uh, legislation that reduces animal exploitation. So you, you can find us, um, Animal Legal Defense Fund, on, on Facebook. Um, we're on Twitter and Instagram as well. And, um, yeah, that's what I would uh, encourage people to do. To learn more about ALDF, visit ALDF.org. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank our guests for their time, as well as all of you for joining us. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. <laughs>